When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Shackles Are Off podcast. Now, if you've not enjoyed the last two podcasts that we've put out, well, there's no helping you, is there, really, to be honest. I mean, we've had two brilliant, brilliant guests to kind of get back into that little, um, I don't know, how, how, how would you say, like the, like a little swing of things that we're trying to get into, Chris, I'd say? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a swing of something. It was um, when I was swinging on the... Um, tricep pushdowns in the gym I wonder where that night, was going then I had someone approach me how did you I had someone approach me to talk to me about Adam Gilchrist who just listened to the podcast on the train on the way back from London so the shackles are off is getting out there and it's obviously it's obviously getting um, getting people interested and in the guests that we've had on in the last two certainly help in that matter you know what? There's, um, it's good. Yeah, I mean, Michael Holden, brilliant. Thanks for all the feedback and response as well, by the way, and getting involved on the social channels and stuff this week. We put a couple of things out um, on the social channels, some of which were absolutely brilliant. And, um, I mean, it took our producer, Chuck, a long time to sift through all of these. And thank you so much for all those messages, by the way, that you did send over. It went absolutely crazy. We had like 1,500 responses to this, I think, and still rising by the time we record this. Funny meetings with cricketers. Uh, we had some crackers. Um, lots of random spots. Steve Smith in a supermarket. And, um, people in Nando's and people stumbling out of pubs and that kind of stuff, which was really good. We actually put a few of these to this week's guest, which is Steve Harmison. We'll talk about Almy in just a second. But there was some some really good interactions with uh, uh, cricketers. A chap called Bully tweeted, I had a pee next to Mark Butcher in Brisbane back in 1998. He'd scored a ton in that test match and was very drunk. Well, obviously, obviously he's going to be. Uh, there were some really good ones anyway, so thank you for all those. And we did put some of those to Steve Harmison. Keep them coming in as well. Um, when we put them out on social media, we will try and get some of them read out on the podcast. But um, Steve Harmison, Millard, uh, absolutely. I mean, we know him fairly well. We've got the pleasure of actually sort of bumping into him at a few test matches. He's done a few events for the Barmy Army, etc. But you never really know where it's going to go with an interview with Harmy. I mean, I did zero prep when we spoke to him, actually. <laughs> Absolutely zero, because you just know. You can ask about three questions and get an hour out of him. He's great. He's unbelievable, isn't he? He's obviously uh, in the media now. He's been seen a lot this winter on BT Sport and also doing bits on TalkSport as well as ever. Um, but he, he's brilliant. He's great. He's, he's great for a, shall we say, controversial matter. He never holds back a true... 
northeasterly bloke who just gets stuck into any matter and sp- speaks his heart. We like that on the Shaffers are off, don't we? We like people that come on and tell the truth and don't beat around the bush. Ask Mikey Holden that. Absolutely. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I, this is the sort of guest that we want. So we'll get into the podcast in just a moment. And by the way, you might be listening to this podcast on the way over to the Caribbean. There's a good chance of that, actually, if, if you're listening to this. If you're not and you're just on the tube or something, well, sorry about that. But if you, which is quite actually probably more likely, by the way. But um, Chris is going to be like 4,000 England fans in the Caribbean. Um, and there's a l- large proportion of that Barmy Army. Um, oh, it's going to be brilliant, isn't it? I mean, it, it, you're going out, enjoying it. Um, oh, but you're just so excited. Can't wait. It's been so long since our last overseas tour and it's the, the pent-up demands there. I've seen people taking off over the last few days and getting stuck into the airport beer or wine before they travel. And, and it's great. The excitement started to build. Antigua first. The players are playing in a warm-up match as we record this intro. So it feels tangible now. It's in it's touching distance. We can reach it almost. And really looking forward to what we've got in store for the whole series. Um, there's... There's a rumour that there's been 7,500 tickets sold for days one to three at the Barbados Test, which is incredibly exciting. Antigua's going to see great numbers, as is Grenada. Um, three very different islands, three lovely islands that that we, we can't wait to go out and visit. And we've got, we've got so much planned. Antigua's very resorty, so there's, there's not a lot of events going on there. It'll be all about the cricket in Antigua. But when you get to Barbados, bang, we've got, we've got your pre-test party on the 15th, which should be a really good event, which is um, going to be a really, really fun night at Halo Lounge, St. Lawrence Gap. We've got Randy Caddick there on the DJ decks, our resident Army Army DJ. Finchie the Trumpeter will be playing all night, teaching everyone the songs before the test match. And um, yeah, you've got plenty of um, rum, Mount Gay rum and Banks beers available for everyone to have a nice drink in the um, in the Bayesian, the Bayesian afternoon, evening weather oh so good so good um and we've talked a little bit about grenada as well on our podcast that's not an island that gets talked about as much as antigua or barbados so just tell us a little bit about it and you've been speaking to someone as well and you're from from uh, uh, pure grenada who are sort of helping us out a little bit with this pod Absolutely. Petra Rowe, she is the CEO of Grenada Tourism and she is wonderful. She is really passionate about Grenada and what it's got to offer and it really has got a lot to offer. We've spoke about it on this podcast, Greggy, a few times about how nice it is. I'm not going to ruin it because I'm going to speak to Petra very soon on the show, so I'll let her do the talking, but it's a very special place. It's, it's a very small island, but it's got so much to offer, and everyone who's lucky enough to be going there in March should be very, very excited. And if you are not going there in March, there's still flights available to get you out the day before the test match with Virgin. I even checked yesterday. There is still flights available to get you to Grenada for that one week. It could even be the decider. If it's one all, I want to see plenty of Shackles or off listeners flying out getting behind the lads so we can take home the um, the series winning in pure Grenada. There we have it. Here is your chat with Petra um, and she's going to tell you all about Grenada. Life in Grenada and what all your followers and members of the Barmy Army can expect when they come and visit us for the third test match. Very good, yes. We're, we're absolutely thrilled to be coming back to Grenada. It's been a long time. 
and it's the it's my favourite island of the Caribbean. Did you hear that? Can we please repeat that? It's his favourite island in the Caribbean. It is, and it, and it is um, famous for the land of the spice. And we've we've been we've spent 24 hours in Grenada so far, and we've absolutely loved every minute. The people, the safety. I- Absolutely, and I think the thing with Grenada is that it's like that very effortless Caribbean beauty. We've got the majestic mountains, we've got that beautiful, gorgeous white sand and turquoise beaches, we've got the cascading waterfalls, we've got amazing food, and I think all of it is wrapped with that wonderful welcome that the Grenadian people give and they love to have a vibe. And that's the whole motto, the tagline that we're going to be pushing for the test match from March 24th to 28th. It's not just the cricket, it's the vibe. So we've got some amazing things organized for you guys when you come here. It's all about what happens before and after the cricket as well. We know that there's going to be phenomenal cricket on the field, but what we're doing is we're closing off a specific area. We're going to create a fan zone. We're going to bring back spice masks. We're going to have people in their carnival costumes. We're going to have the beautiful jab jab. We're going to have chutney. We'll have Grenadian music. It's going to be fantastic. Sign me up. Absolutely sign me up. Now, I had my I had my wrist slapped a minute ago for mentioning something that you may have just mentioned on air. So um, I was very excited about this concept <laughs> when I heard about it earlier. Now you've blurred it out to the public. But there's going to be there's going to be a bit of a party, isn't there? Well, we really feel that Grenadian culture is something that is so wonderful that we got to share it and it's so easy just when you're part of it to almost become assimilated and become a Grenadian and I think one of the things that you mentioned which I really need to reiterate this is such a safe island I leave my car door unlocked, the house door unlocked you know, there is nothing to worry about from a safety perspective and therefore we really want to ensure that you get out of your hotels and not just go down to the stadium but you go and wander off the beaten path and look and find all those little secrets that are absolutely magical right that's petra that's our first guest effectively of this podcast love it um and our main big guest is the legendary wonderful i mean i could listen to this bloke all day He's (laughs) He's, he's big the big man himself steve harmison on the shackles are off podcast We have the brilliant Steve Harmison, friend of the Barmy Army, done loads of stuff for us, events and been out on tour and all sorts of stuff with us before. Spoke to us on the YouTube channel, this, that and the other. Now talk sport fame, 05 hero. Welcome along, Harmy, to, to the podcast. What we do is we start this with every single person. And by the way, big shoes to fill. We had Mikey Holden on last week. Um, but we ask everybody the same question. And it is cricketing beginnings. How did it start? I mean, we know all about Ashington Cricket Club, but is it before that? Was it watching it, watching a, I'd know a parent or someone like that play, or older brother or whatever it is, back back garden cricket. How how did cricket start for you, pal? 
Uh, it wasn't it. Um, and they are big shoes to fill. Mikey Holden, by the way. I didn't see had Gillian before that as well. So, yeah, following in good footsteps. Mine was at Bedlington Cricket Club. It wasn't at Ashton Cricket Club. Didn't go to Ashton Cricket Club until I was about 11, sort of 12, 13. But my football, my background was always football. So, Bedlington second team, they had one of the best cup sides for about 10 years. They, they never lost a cup match for 10 years. They never finished any higher than sort of mid-table in the league. And it was just because they had about eight very, very good non-league footballers who were decent cricketers play for them. So they missed the first five games of the cricket season, missed the last five games of the cricket season. And obviously the cup matches are played in the middle with obviously the lights and at night time. So they had a fantastic cup side, but they just couldn't win the league because all the players, you know, they, they were having nine and 10 players at the start of the season and, that's how I ended up playing because I was a scorer for the majority of the season. And then I'd play at the end of the season as a, a, a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, 11-year-old playing for Benton second team because all the footballers had gone off back to playing football because I get paid a few quid. So that's how my my initial upbringing was. I was a scorer for, for my dad's team at Bedlington um, and played whenever there was a car late or somebody couldn't get for the last minute. Um, and then the opposition scorer did both books. So he got double money. I got a game and he got double bowls. So that's how it all started. That's quality. So good. So what age would you have been picked up by Durham then? Presumably, from what you're saying, mid-teens maybe? I mean, what was the setup like? No, it was, I played for Northumberland. I didn't really play too much representative cricket. Played a little bit, 12s, 13s, 14s, but... Not foot, football was the only thing I was interested in. I had no cricket, no cricket interest whatsoever, and I, I was sixteen or seventeen, playing the seventeens, I think, for for Northumberland at Jesmond against Durham, and I think Jeff Cook was watching Michael Goff, who was opening the batting for Durham, and I was playing. It was one of these, I think it was a two-day game. I'm not sure what the, the whole story was, but I had just sort of started a bricklaying apprenticeship. And I didn't play in half the games for Northumberland, but this was one game that Northumberland managed to convince me to play in. Because when people say I was a complex character when I played for England, boy, I was a complex character <laughs> when I was growing up. I was a nightmare. I was a shocker. I never went to school. I was a delinquent. Never went to school. Uh, I left school at 15, didn't do any GCSEs. Um, and it's uh, the ball rolled from there. Um, but I played against Durham in this game and Jeff Cook, tells the story that he went round to the Northumberland coaches and gone, where on earth are you getting him from? And the coaches said, well, we're just pleased for one, he's turned up. And two, you, yeah, it's, it's not football season because he only plays, he only plays uh, for like three months. He only plays cricket for three months during the winter, uh, during the summer when he's not playing football. So Jeff managed to convince me to go and play a second team game for Durham. Yeah, um, where was that at? Oh, it, I can't remember where that is, South Shields against Ian Gould. He had Gunner, the umpire, and I was yeah. see, I was only 17, this ridge on the field at, uh, at South Shields, and Gunner walks out number 11, second team. So he still reminds me of it now. Remember, he reminds me every time now. I didn't know where it was going at the best of times. So as a 17-year-old, you can imagine. And I bowled this one ball at Gunner, and Gunner hit the deck. And I mean, it took him off his feet, hit the deck, rolled on his arse, and I can just remember him. I can't swear, can't I? I, yeah, I can yeah. just remember him saying, fucking hell, what's that? And it was, and that was the start. That was the start of me going forward. I played two more second team games. And then I played for the first team 
at 17. I think I was the youngest at Durham to play. Again, I was against Leicester in 96. Leicester won the championship that on that on that game. Um, the West Indies coach, Phil Simmons, had a had a bit of a day out. And it was it was one of them times when Durham were, weren't very good. You know, teams were coming up for two days and not for three. Um, and Phil Simmons got seven for 40 and he got about 160 or 170 in the match. Jeez. Um game started on the Thursday. I didn't play, I wasn't playing Vashit in the last weekend of the season because that's when it was. I had 14, 14, uh, 48 league wickets for Ashton at the time. So I was I was desperate to get 50, but I, I was like, no, no, I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna get it. So we started on the Thursday. We bowled out by I think lunchtime on well, mid-afternoon on the Thursday. They rocked up a massive score, and then we were bowled out by the end of the day Friday. And I rocked up, I think it was at Percy Main and got me. I got four wickets, some two wickets to get 50 on the Saturday playing for Ashton. So it was a whirlwind start to my, well, that was from Jeff seeing me to that moment, you're looking at, what, six weeks, if that? No. And then no. I got dropped, then I got dropped into Pakistan in, uh, in November was my first meeting with certain Mr. Flintoff um, and the eye-opening tour of Pakistan having not been out of Ashington too many times in my 17-year 17 17-year 17 time on this planet. Uh, I lasted about 10 days because I couldn't handle being away from home. I had no idea what was hitting me. So it was a little bit of a whirlwind start of my career from a cricketer. Oh, mate, so did you good. Did the football on the head then, Harmy? Or did you did you try and mix the both and think this ain't going to work? I mixed both. I'll tell you a great story. I mixed both. Um, for the next few winters, the next couple of winters, I mixed both. And then... Um, the following year, I bowled it. Uh, the year after, I bowled at David Boone in the nets. I remember uh, Booney tells me this, tells the story. He told me the story that I'd been bowling, and he got told by Jeff Cook to stay upstairs into the, one of the boxes and watch bowls. And Booney was like, "Now nah, I'm gonna have to come and have a look at this." So he came, he put his pads on. I was shitting myself bowling at him, um, and basically, uh, my body wasn't fit to fit to sort of play at the time because I was struggling with a, a growing pains, back problems. And um, Booney had told Jeff that whatever happens, we need to make sure he's fit for the start of next season. And that was in 98. But just prior to 98, um, I played football. And I was playing football all the way up to the to the end of it. And we played. I was playing for Ashton in a, in, in a game at Prudder. And that had a, my, my other brother was 16 at the time. And they had a big centre forward. And he, he, was, he was bullying and I, I just, I don't know what happened. I just, I, I ended up having a go at him and he had a go at me and I was standing next to him and I had the red mist was right in front of me and I banged straight on, boosh. <laughs> that was it, right in front of the linesman. I get sent off. That's, yeah, suspension comes through. I get nine week suspension. Because in the, them days, he didn't get banned for three games. He got weeks for violent conduct. I got nine weeks, which started on the April the 1st, of which the first Durham contract started on the April the 1st. So that was a sign that was more or less saying you've got to give up football. Well, that's like, that is like fate, isn't it? Everything happens for a reason. By the way, Steve, Eric Cantona, Harmison with that lengthy bat. Unbelievable. He, he came at me and we're both sort of there. And uh, he obviously, he's seen, he's seen a chance of getting somebody sent off. And I just followed through that a little bit further. So I think it was getting one on him before he got one on me. So, but it was... That nah, was part of life's little learning thing, but you're right, fear was there. Yeah, it was. Jeez, I mean, suspension started at the uh, at the time my contract started. So from there, 98 started, and 
um, I played the, the whole season for Durham. What What is it about Ashington Harmy? What is it about that little that little club, that little town? I don't know. Um, they are, I wouldn't say they're made different, but there's the working class people of this area. And I mentioned Jeff Cook because I think I think Durham Cricket Club. You can't you can't name it Durham. You can't name it Jeff Cook Cricket Club. It's just not possible. <laughs> the ground should be named after Jeff Cook, a little bit like Sir Alex Ferguson. The ground should be named after Jeff Cook for what he did for not just for Durham County Cricket Club, yeah. but for the, the people that are in the area. And I think it's yeah, not an embarrassment, but he's got a members area named after him. He should have the whole ground named after him if he could have, but it wasn't for sponsorship reasons. But um, he would go off into these little mining villages, and these little places and, and hungry areas and make sure that, you know, the talent, little bit ta- talent that were there, he would go and get them. You think the collie going into sort of concert, Shotley Bridge area, mining village, Anfield playing when Killer was there. You know, Washington was a big, you know, when like Sir Philip Mustard. Um, you know, the Teesside area for, for, for Lee and Plunkett, you know, things like that. And then even even going over to Cockermouth and getting Ben Stokes. Um, Jeff wouldn't look. I remember, I remember I'm not going to say what the cricket club's name is, but people will know if I'm from the, the area I'm talking about. But there was a nice, big, shiny new indoor school built in my area. And I remember going there with Durham, or it was either Durham or England. And I said to Jeff, wow, this is amazing. How much money these have got? And look at this. And Jeff said, that's fine, but they'll never produce cricketers. He says, because this area, you know, they're just an expensive babysitting service. And when he said that to me, I thought, Penny dropped me how Jeff looks for players. He looks for players in areas where he knows their lives will be made a difference if they end up getting a chance to play cricket or play sport. And that's what served Jeff very, very well. And the Ashton area was the same. It always has been the same. Now, traditions of football, mainly, yeah. you know, Professional golfer in Ken Ferry, um, three professional or four professional cricketers in myself, my brother, obviously Mark and John Inchmore, who played a lot for for Worcestershire, um, and then the football connection and even even in the referee connection as well in, in Michael Oliver. So it's a small place, but it's a place which has had, it has had success. You know, being able to look look up to people, and there's always been somebody there for them to look up to. You know, going to the Go into the cricket club. You had that's where Mark got inspiration from the myself and then Ben. And now these kids going to the, my kids going to the cricket club are, you know, when Mark's there. Even even now he's obviously he's off to the West Indies in the next sort of twenty four hours. But he's brought a big. I've just picked Charlie up this afternoon. He's brought a big bag of kit back from his last away trip. Oh, you know all the things that he's not, and he's give it all to the to the kids and. When you've got people that do that, I did that at Ashington, at the cricket club. And when you've got people like that, kids are not just inspired by getting something that's been worn by somebody else. It makes them go that extra chance to, to want to be that person as well. And I think that's largely down to where to where Ashton is. I spoke to Woody about this on the podcast last year, I think. And he was just, I mean, he was just saying how much of a buzz it is for him. It's the one most exciting thing. He said he didn't realise actually that he had won the World Cup. It had not sunk in properly until the mayor of Ashington, <laughs> I think he said, actually said to him, please welcome World Cup winner Mark Wood. And he was like, that was the first time. And he did people say in interviews and on the telly and journos and stuff saying to him and asking him the question. 
But he said that's when it really hit home properly. I think he obviously knew what an impact it had on the on the area having a World Cup winner, obviously yourself as well with with the 05 Ashes as well. Just wonder, you know, how many more are you going to come from your area? We're going to have you know a World Cup winner in 2032 or something coming from Ashington, or maybe even sooner. Well, they've got a, a, a lot of talent in in this area, whether it's from Ashington or connected to Ashington, living in the surrounding areas. And you know, we've there's a, a young kid that playing out of I live in between Ashington and Newbigin. There's a young kid that was playing at Sunderland. He's now gone to Portsmouth, and there's kids looking up to him. He plays you know a, a good standard of football. Like I said before, Michael Oliver. There's a lot of a lot of young referees want to be referees from this area because of Michael and. Michael's a great lad, and he's, he's somebody that he's always seen around the, the football club when the football are playing. He's always at Newcastle matches. He wonders why Michael wonders why he, he's not allowed to referee Newcastle United, and if he hasn't got a game <laughs> on Saturday, he's got a pint of lager in his hand, and he's got a Newcastle shirt on. <laughs> why Michael, you're not allowed to do it. But he inspires people because they see him on the television, and he's a good bloke. He's a nice lad, and when he's around, he gets he gets he gets involved with with, with people. So. I think that while you've got heroes like that, then I think you will always have a chance of breeding more you know, untapped or young kids that can that can either play football, play cricket, play anything. Cool. But the biggest one at the minute is the girls. The girls, there's some you know good girls playing cricket at the minute yeah. Um, yeah. from this area. And long may that continue because that is a, a market and a sport which I think will only get better and better. Certainly growing, isn't it, Harmy? The um, the little mention there of Newcastle United. Now, I must admit, I've, I've heard it before, Harmy, but one of my favourite stories in, in cricket, of, of all the stories out there, is your special little connection to Newcastle United. So for the, those that haven't heard on the podcast, can you tell them about your little connection to the club? Well, I've always had a, a connection to the club with, I was at the club till, well, for the first intake of School of Excellence when I was 11, so... I was there until I was about 14, 15. Then I got slower and everybody else got taller and bigger and stronger. So that was that's just sport. So from that point of view, I've always had an affiliation with, with Newcastle. And it come back to really hit home. in I think in 98, that I mentioned a little bit earlier in the podcast, that when Durham got me back on my feet from the, the Pakistan trip, I was growing pains and everything that was going. The fitness coach that worked for Durham for about four months, and he only worked for Durham for four months because he was that good. And Newcastle were training behind at Chester Street. Newcastle come and took him. They just, yeah, they just come and took him off us. I think Hullock was manager at the time. And Paul Winsper, and he was, he was amazing. He knew body inside out, got me fit more than once to get back on and playing. And I got injured after getting man of the match in Dakar in 2003. And I didn't go to Sri Lanka. And there was an article written by Derek Pringle. It was horrific. It was just personal. It was terrible. Um, I've had a conversation with Pringle about it before. Um, I didn't want an apology. He didn't offer one. But he was obviously given some inside information on a story, which basically saying I didn't want to play cricket, wasn't interested in travelling away from home. Uh, England should just wash their hands with me. And I didn't like that. And Paul Winsper rang me up when that article was was written. And he was obviously his fitness coach at Newcastle. And he said, do you want to come and train here? The manager's just read it. And he said, if you want to come and meet him, you can. 
and you're more than welcome to come and use our facilities. And I was like, wow, so Bobby Robson. Because like, you know, this man's managed like the best players of all time. And he's quite, he's asked me to come and meet him. So he's a massive cricket fan and I love him a bit. And he was brilliant with me. And I remember him sort of coming into, he had the actual article with him when I met him having lunch. Paul said, you know, he wasn't happy with this. He knows how much of a, a Newcastle fan you are. Um, do you want to come and train here? Do you really want to be a professional cricketer? And I was like, of course I do. I want to play for England. I want to do this. A lot of what anybody would say when you're sitting in front of Sir Bobby Robson. Um, but he just, he blew me away. He said, listen to this man, yeah, Paul. He says, you know, obviously you know him very, very well because Windy had told him all about me. And then he took me into the gym and he just, he pointed at, you know, the gym session was going on and he pointed at um, Gary Speed, Alan Shearer, Shea Given, James, a young James Milner, um, Steve Harper, and said, look, you follow them for the next eight, nine weeks, eat with them, train with them, listen to what they say, watch what they do, and you'll turn into an international sportsman because that's what they all are. And I was like, and I was like mesmerized. And he was like, there's Alan Shearer. As much as I'd known Alan before, there's Alan Shearer. I was like, yeah, I couldn't believe what I was standing witnessing and what he was asking me. And then he did, to be fair, he pointed at, you know, the, the likes of Jermaine Janus, Craig Bellamy, uh, Titus Bramble, one or two more in the corner. He says, you go anywhere near them. And he says, I will kick you out. He says, because I can't get rid of them. He says, because <laughs> I need them. He says, I can get rid of you. He says, you don't go anywhere near them. And I was like, yes, but I was calling boss already. And I was like, he's only, I've only been in there for like 20 minutes. And then for nine weeks, basically, um, I had to be in the building at the same time as the players with them in the afternoon and then uh, in the morning, train in the afternoon and then in the, in the afternoon, make sure that you ate with them. But one of the one of the good stories from, from being in there was one of my first days. And so Bobby, not knowing to me, and I learned the hard, I got told I'd learned the hard way, um, nobody ate before one o'clock. So I've gone in, I've got me plate of food and I'm sat down and I mean, as I was walking to walking away, he's now a very good friend of mine. He stuffed me outside, Shea Given waves at me, and he come, I'm like, come and sit here. So there was Shea Given and the great late Gary Speed, one of the best human beings on this planet. He was an unbelievable man, unbelievable character, unbelievable role model. And he's sitting right opposite me. And I'm now just about to tuck into my dinner. And Bobby's come in and he's gone berserk. What are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm looking around. Now he's talking to me. <laughs> going, what are you doing? I said, I'm sorry, boss, am I not allowed to eat? You went, nobody eats in this building before one o'clock. You two, you two, no. Did you not tell him? The two of them just looked and they went, no, you'll learn the hard way. And that was it. I was I was gone. I thought I'm leaving the building. <laughs> Bobby made sure that everybody stopped what they did at one o'clock. Everybody in that building ate at the same time. If you're getting treatment, you had to stop. You come in. You're working in the office, you had to stop. You had to come in. Everybody ate together. And I mean, it was brilliant. And the two of them, and I, I looked across the two of them, they were pissing themselves laughing. <laughs> you two, and they've gone, well, you'll learn the hard way. So I was like, I was wondering why. I was I was like so pleased that Shea Givens asked me to sit next to him. But then I realised why he did, because he's stuffing me out of tight. So it was a little bit of a, some people sing songs, some people embarrassing themselves. I certainly embarrassed myself. I had eight weeks there, and it was one of the best eight weeks of my life. Um, and I was the fittest I've ever been. I went to the West Indies and, and never looked back. And every single time I had a chance to go and train, or little passages of go and train, 
the doors at St. James's Park were, that the training ground was always open. And I've seen a few managers off, but because the senior players had said that I was I was good to you know, I was good to come in, I was trustworthy and I was they were comfortable to have me in. Um Brilliant. it was it was it was a nice feeling to to be to have a, a professional sports club on my doorstep that I could go and use and train. So good. So good. Oh, there'll be people listening to this like so envious and so jealous of that. I can think of a few Amazing. I tell you who was the best. Oh, one of the, well, so Bobby was the best. Yeah. Graham Sooness. What a lovely man. Yeah, I, I, I thought I was done. I thought I was done. I was on my way and Paul Winsper, new manager, is Graham Sooness. And he, I was in the corridor. He walked past me in the corridor and he was, oh, you, you crick, you're the cricketist. I said, yeah, yeah, shook my hands. He looked me straight in the eye. And he said, you're more than welcome to hang around. It's up to you, but you're more than welcome to hang around. He said, I spoke to a few senior players and he says they're all vouched for you. Um, you can you can hang around, use this facility, use Paul, whatever you want. Um, doors open. And in the mornings, I would go on the exercise bike, and he would be on the exercise bike for about an hour, hour and twenty minutes. Wow. All he would talk about, he never knew, he didn't like cricket, no interest in cricket. He's a Scotsman, but all he talked about was traveling, where he'd been in the world, where I'd been in the world. He had he talked about little different little traveling things. Um, and he was an amazing man. He was a lovely, lovely man. It didn't work for him at Newcastle, but what a what a great man he was. Yeah. Oh, there'll be so many. I can think of a few Balmy Army members who will be probably listening to this on the plane to the West Indies going, oh, that's so good. <laughs> so that's great. I, I just um, want to get you, pick your brains on some of this stuff. We've not got too, lot, too long, actually, but um, we, we put this out on social media the other day, and I know, I just know, I can feel this from every fibre of my being, you've got something to add to this. It's going to be great. So we put this out on social media the other day. We had 1,500 responses. Like, it went crazy. And there are some absolute belters. Basically, it was like, what are your funniest meetings with cricketers? So there was some, there was some, there was some belters. So, I mean, number one was obviously Spec Savers responding, saying Ben Stokes told us to offer Jack Leach free glasses for life. So we did. Very funny. Um, a certain Michael Vaughan got involved. He said, I once got Sachin Tendulkar out. Brilliant, yeah. That wasn't really in the spirit of things. We had loads of random spots. Steve Smith in the supermarket vegetable aisle. David Willie in Nando. Sir Alistair Cook in Costa. Owen Morgan in KFC, etc. I know, being the man about, you know, just normal sort of salt of the earth bloke that you are, Harmony, you'll have had loads of people coming up to you in really random places. And you, you, I could tell you're probably thinking, oh, my word, where do I start with this? So come on, hit us with some. Oh, I don't know. I was expecting you to say, no, we've we seen Steve Armisen in a bar. And I was like, no. <laughs> um, I can vouch for that one. <laughs> I'm trying to think. No. You get uh, in America. I remember being in America going you know, many, many. You know, we went, I think, as soon as my international days had finished. I remember being in America and um, I seen a Barmy Army T-shirt and straight across, bang. And I was thinking, these get everywhere. You lot get everywhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think probably in, in, a, in a, I think it was a basketball game in America. We were watching the Magic, Orlando Magic. And I mean, we were in the cards. We couldn't get a ticket for love and the money. We literally just, the day before, the day before we're, we're going to go, well, try to find something to do and, well, the kids said the basketball was on and it was more or less sold out. We, could, we couldn't get a ticket. It was only in the gods. 
And I remember being on the concourse and somebody recognized me there. And I was thinking anywhere, you know, they don't even, they don't even know what cricket is in America. Um, and, and, and there was one there. Um, I'm trying to think anywhere else. No, you get the usual, you've got, you know, the usual ones going to obviously in, in football matches, non-league football matches. I've yeah. seen, I've seen get some, some, you know, people coming across there, but I don't think that's any usual because I'm always at non-league football. But did I think you, America is probably the one. Did you get any people when you were managing a bit of non-league football? Did you get any like the opposition? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite a bit. They would have a, they would have a go. Yeah, tell me to go back in. Yeah, tell that, tell that story on the radio next week, and it's like, right, fair enough. Yeah, you. Oh wow! Okay, touche. Oh, yeah. Oh, you get some stick. You got some ridiculous stick. So, but there's nothing more, any more stick than what I'd. I'd, I'd got from stand on the sideline, yeah, yeah, you know, anywhere in Australia or yeah, that's anywhere true. where you any, anywhere where you understood the English language that it was uh, or that was spoken, you you got stick. So you get used to it. You got used to it, but it was always enjoyable. I always loved getting stick on the on the boundary. It was it was it was my it was always the favorite thing. I loved did it. Much, um, did you get much in 06 after that? I film? got a little bit, as you can imagine. Um, <laughs> I did get a little bit. I got one at Adelaide. He was shouting at me. He was he, he had me for about ten minutes. And I just kept him going, and then in the end, I, I, I quite I quite like getting involved, and I just turned around. Well, what did you just say? And this bloke had just shouted. You know, he was a sort of fifty odd year old. Harmison, the only good thing about you is you miss it. And I just start to laugh. I says, she's over there. I says, she's all around there. I says, you go and try and have a conversation with her. That was it. All his mates around him. Just. Yeah, loving it. Love it. I went back for the next over. I had them out of the palm of my hands for the next two hours because I went back <laughs> for the next over. He's not there. So at the, every time I went back at the end of the over, I was like, where's my mate gone? <laughs> Nothing. he gone. So well, they started to be to be on my side. But no, you got you got little bits. I remember being in India once and there's this annoying character on the boundary who nailed me. Just telling me in English everything at me, everything I was doing wrong. Blah, blah, blah. He went on for like two hours. And I was like, no point picking a fight with him because I, nobody around him understands. And then at the end of the session, I'm walking off and he asked me to sign this thing, program or whatever. And I said, no. And he said, what for? I said, you've abused me for the last... Yeah, I, I, I said, you've abused me in English for the last two hours. I said, no. I says, you're from Manchester. He went, why can you tell by the accent? I went, no, you're full of shit. And, he, <laughs> and, he, and that was him. He just disappeared. And he, about, I probably just alienated half of the, the Barmy Army because they're all from Manchester, but he was full of shit. Yeah, of I did sign it, by the way. I did sign the programme when I came out after tea. It was just a bit <laughs> fun. But you know, these are the things that, honestly, cricketers get amused by things like that because of when you stand on the boundary and the ball's not coming to you, You've got to think of things that can occupy your mind and things like that, or, or, or what was get we used to get me going. That's you know, it's one of the most enterprising ways of doing it. I think I love it, absolutely love it. Another thing, and I don't want to make this all about our social media interactions this week, but this is very much to do with you. Um, we asked for uh, for our favourite wickets on our social mm. channels on Instagram, and people just sending pictures in, and you'll have seen this probably on Twitter flying about. It went quite big this week, and obviously people loving it, people sending the wire chirping now, mate, Mitch Johnson, and uh, then obviously Simon Jones cleaning up Michael Clark with that brilliant noise. Um, yeah, that, even... that was the one. I've seen Jimmy's tweet on that. Yeah. That was the one. The noise on that was just unbelievable. It was so loud. It was so... The reason why it was so loud was because there was a split second 
in the crowd who just went silent. It was yeah. a disbelief that it was a pause because of the noise, and then there was a pause, and then there was just a crescendo of noise. Yeah. I still think that's the one. That it's is, awesome. Yeah. It, well, but you say that, you say that, but you were you were basically at number four on the list. And there was a lot of entry. By the way, this is like thousands of entries of mm. people's favourite wicket ever. And come out number four, Harmy winning at Edgbaston, basically, is how we how we put it. Um, I mean, there'll be loads of people who voted for that and sent that in who are who are on you know listening to the podcast. Talk us through it. I'm sure you absolutely hate talking us through that moment. <laughs> the edge basting one was it was we thought the job had been done the night before you get Clark out literally had nothing left everybody's going what, what was the thing with Michael Clark and it was like I'd bounced Shane one. I bounced you know I'd, I'd got into Shane one a couple of overs before bounced Michael Clark first ball hit him in the sort of ribcage second ball I was trying to sort of get it sort of down leg side so he could just down a fine leg so I could get a chance at one. bear in mind we had we had claimed the extra half an hour, so we were we were on our feet, and nothing was nothing was working to get Clark, uh, to get Warney on strike, and it was just at the top of my mark. It was like the only thing I haven't tried was the slower ball. I had the worst slower ball in the history of the game in one day cricket. I tried it three times in a row to miss Hindra Singh Dhoni. The first one he hit five rows back. The second one he hit ten rows back, and I thought <laughs> double. I've got to bluff him again. He can't pick the third one, and he hit that fifteen rows back. It was <laughs> bad. And the only person that's never picked it was Michael Clark, and it didn't just get a MLB. Would have gotten a MLBW, but then gets him bowled. So the euphoria of going off, we're thinking that's it, game over, 107. No chance these are getting at that. We'd be on Broad Street by quarter past eleven. <laughs> your Aussie's gone. We were, that was it. That was how we were going to be going to be thinking about it. And then obviously Brett had a different idea. He was like a voodoo doll, Brett Lee. He just hit him everywhere. <laughs> We hit him. I think he did three singles without his bat in his hand, just because of being hit. Yeah, you know, he was he was brilliant in that series, both bat ball and as a character. He was amazing, Brettley. Um, and you know, Casper, who I, he was out first ball in the first innings, you're thinking there's no chance these can win this. But Warney's Warney, and whenever you put a, a you know a challenge in front of the great man. He, uh, he'd always come out fighting, and boy, did he come out fighting. There was an annoying group of Australian uh, supporters. Merv, Merv Hughes wasn't one of them, but he was <laughs> leader of the, of the touring party. Well, and they thought it was good, singing 107 to go, and they sang every single not a run down over. So they were annoying for about, about 45 runs. They started to become very funny with yeah, 60 runs to go. And then we were worried with 20 runs to go. And then we obviously, Wally kicks his stumps over. Casper comes in, bats brilliantly. And then that that sort of last two balls where the big boom and full toss was supposed to be an in-swing in Yorker, which got horribly wrong and went the other way. For about 40 minutes, I'd lost the use of a bouncer because I couldn't sort of get my left side through. I was just, I was just knackered, simple as that. It was dribbling down the leg side. It wasn't working. Um, and then the big boom and full toss went out to Simon in the deep and have decided that, well, there's only one thing you were good at, really, from a, a bowling point of view, was bowl fast bounces and you know, needs must, and this is now. And, you know, Casper's managed to get his, his glove to it and, and Garant, not, the Garant gets doesn't get the credit he deserves because it's a fantastic catch. Yeah. Garant goes diving down leg side and you know, the other the finished off, topped off by 
unbelievable commentary by the great man Richie Benno and England are now 1-1 and jumping around like idiots. There we go. It's number four on the list of all-time favourite wickets. I mean, it's awesome. It's so, so good. The way you talk about it, it goes straight to number one for me. Love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, you, you've not got long, Harmy, but you are out in the West Indies. I'm hazarding a guess here. I don't know this for a fact. Yeah. You are out there, yeah? I'm going out on... I'm going out... Well, I don't know when I'm going out, but I'm going out to do, um, obviously, the TV and the radio. So I'm really looking forward to that. I can't believe you too. Be too great. Yeah, I'm going to be with the Barmy Army um, on more than one occasion. Um, I can't believe me too great pals when sort of who took over from Hoggard and Harmison. I can't believe they're not going. I really can't. Um, I don't know why. I don't know how that decision was made. But it's going to be strange not having Broad and Anderson there. Um, I don't think it's the right decision. I really don't. I think it was a good, I think it might have been going through my mind if England had a very good Ashes or potentially had won the Ashes to see where we're going. But we can't afford, we have to start winning cricket matches now. And unfortunately, the likes of Mahmood and Fisher haven't sort of been given the credit of getting, getting picked because yeah. of being overshadowed by Broad and Anderson not going. So it'll be good to see Lees and how Alex Lees goes. Joe going at three. I've been talking about that for five years and now he's world and world test player of the year batting at number four. Broad and Anderson still two of our best bowling options and it just seems that as we do with whatever comes out of the ECB, we make a monumental fuck up sometimes and for me, two things that didn't need changing was Broad and Anderson not being there and Root going from four to three. But what do I know? I'm just a gobshite that works on TV and radio. Let's see what happens. But fingers crossed for everybody, we have a great time. England desperately need to win. Desperately need to win. Um, we can't go over there as a fact-finding mission. It looks as though we've picked a squad for that. But even still, we should still have enough to beat the West Indies when you look at the squad that they have picked this week. So yeah. England should, for me, should win there, even though they have, they've only won one there once in, in, uh, since 67, 68. But It'll, uh, it'll be a fascinating tour and it'll be an interesting first test match selection <coughs> and hope that England, when they're now pressing the reset button, don't pick the same bone attack that they picked the Gabba four months earlier and make a complete hash of the West Indies like they did in Australia. Yeah. Absolutely. Harmy, before we lose you, you did just mention Matty Fisher there and you were involved at Yorkshire again helping your good mate Goffey out. Um, quick, quick note on how that's going. Yeah, he got me when I'd, I'd had a few again, which, to be fair, wasn't, you know, that could have been any night of the last 15 years. Um, but he got, <laughs> me to, he got me to come and, and, and help. It's been a, a tricky few months for Yorkshire. Um, and Goffey will get it right. All you Yorkshire fans listening, Goffey will get it right. I've got no doubt that works whatsoever. I've got some exciting young players, really exciting young players. And one of them is Matt Fisher. He's... He's been around a little bit because obviously he made his debut in, when he was 15, but his body body issues have been there for everybody to see. He's got skills. He really has. He's worked so hard to get himself in, in, in a position to be selected. He had a very good trip to Australia with the Lions. He's rightly been selected on this trip. I'd love to see him rub shoulders with Roland Anderson. I really would because um, I think the, the knowledge and the value you get off that would be would be would be excellent. Like I said before, I hope it's not a fact find. I hope it's a fact finding mission. Now they've picked this squad when it comes to 
finding out about Mahmood and Fisher because, like I just made a joke of before, there's no point not taking Braun Anderson if you're going to go in with the same bone attack like you did at the Gabba. So for me, Fisher and Mahmood, they've got to play one, possibly two test matches to find out how good they are, where they stand in the, the bowling the, um, numbers going forward. Um, and I'd love to see Fisher get a go, especially in, in the first test match in Antigua because he's worked hard. I know he's worked hard to get there because I've seen it. And um, he's a fantastic young man, great human being. He's got, he's got time for everybody. He's got a kind heart. And I just hope that you know, the, the injury, injury um, problems he's had in the past are all behind him. And he, uh, he starts um, his career with a, with a bang in the West Indies. Oh, mate, I love listening to you talk, mate. You have got uh, some, well, you've got jobs to do, mate, so crack on. Uh, but I love listening to you talk. If you want to hear Steve Harmison talk more sense like he does and straight talking, Talk Sport and um, the Cricket Collective, great podcast. Don't mind plugging a rival podcast as well as where you can hear Steve Harmison in the West Indies. Um, Harmy. Let's talk again soon, mate. But um, yeah, enjoy. And all the Barmy Army members, I'm sure, will enjoy listening to you talk as well out there in the West Indies. But have a good one, mate. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. No problem. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Podcast Network.